All right, the GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Going to go straight to the phones because we got a few stacked up. Let's go to Todd in Fountain Inn. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Thanks for holding. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Bill. Hey, my wife is an insurance agent with State Farm. Okay. She detests when Teslas or the Mer- the other uh, electric vehicles come through. She said it's caused whatever type of accident they're in, they almost have to total the car because they're afraid that the battery pack might have gotten cracked and stuff. And she said there's just tons tons of paperwork that they have to do when someone comes in with one to insure. And she's like, and then the quote they give them is just outrageous. Uh, that's all she told me. I don't know exactly how much it is because I can't afford one. Right. Um, but also you're talking about, you know, someone was saying, hey, why can't they put an alternator on and charge this thing while it's going? You can't charge a battery while it's, while it's being used. Um, like the battery in your car only really starts the car. The car runs off the alternator. Right. And it only really starts the car and only powers a couple of things here and there. And I spoke to an engineer about this one time Um because I had it, I had his ear, and I said, "Why can't they do this?" And he said, "You can't do it while you're using it." Same reason, like with solar, you can't use the batteries and use the solar panels. You have to use the solar panels, and they will charge the batteries, and you know, power your house. But he said, "What they could do is like split the battery packs in half to where you have an A and B. Use A and B to get going. A shuts down, starts charging. You know, with the alternator in the car. When B gets low, it switches over to." A and then starts charging B. He said, but then you're you're not really. He said you'd have to have like three or four alternators to charge the batteries to 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 the way it would do. I was right. like, okay, I got you. So what uh, yeah. with what you were telling me about your wife and the car, if it's involved in an accident, that tells me that they probably got one and saw one and didn't recognize the uh, the danger to the battery, and then they had the thermal run away later on down the road, and they probably got sued or something. Would be my guess. I'm, I'm not sure. All I know is, and it makes sense because, you know, the batteries are located up underneath the car and kind of the main chassis of the car, sort of. Right. It's basically your Teslas. So you get hit, like, in front of the back wheel, you know, something that would be you take it to the repair shop and they'd keep it for a week or two, repair it, and you get it back. But you got to understand that when you do that, you know, if it cracks that battery pack, and then you've got a situation on your head. And she also said that a lot of uh, your auto repair businesses, um, your body shops, that's what I'm trying to think of, your body shops, don't want to fool with them because, yeah. you know, they get it in there and that battery pack's cracked and it catches fire, boom, their shop's burned down. Indeed, indeed. You know, uh, excellent points. And thank you for hanging on for me, if you would, Todd. i got to jump. i got somebody else on hold. Please feel free to call again. Let's go to Gary in Traveler's Rest. Yes, sir. Hey, good morning, Bill. Uh, good morning. Yeah, he's right. About um, a majority of all uh, electric vehicles that crashed, are, they, they're totaled. That's why we're paying so much more for insurance because they got to absorb it somehow. <laughs> but what I was going to tell you, I was going to tell you uh, these these batteries. Uh, you're talking about the batteries are going to get better. They already are better. And uh, Toyota's got a battery pack right now. See, they're they're changing from the uh, lithium paste to the solid state. Right. It's a twenty. It's a twenty-four stack, and uh, Toyota right now has one. And it, it will charge in in ten to fifteen minutes, ten to twelve minutes, I think it is, and will go seven hundred and fifty-two miles. And that sucker is going to be in production here pretty darn soon. 
Will but, that uh, be will that be offered and allowed in in the United States under the Biden administration? <laughs> well, that is that is really a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that'll throw it up, that'll throw a mix in it, won't it? Well, I don't know, but you know, because they subsidize the cost of these things so much, and I mean that's our, I mean that's built into the Inflation Reduction Act, the subsidies for these electric vehicles. So, yeah. um, I would be interested to find out once that almost you remember you remember the stories we used to hear where somebody had designed a carburetor that would get you two hundred forty miles per gallon, but the government wouldn't let you have it. Remember that? Which oh, I, I remember I don't, it real well. I don't I don't know if yeah. that was ever true or not, but then when you tell me this about this battery that'll charge in fifteen minutes which is just a little bit longer than it takes to fill my tank of gas and yeah, uh, would go 750 miles. Um, okay, now you got my attention, but would the government let me have that? Exactly. But uh, And the reason I've been following that pretty closely because I'm watching that stock symbol, and it's a Japanese stock symbol. And right. when that baby hits, I can assure you, you will make money. Toyota has moved away from uh, the traditional electric vehicle. I'd seen that. They were moving more towards a hybrid. I think the hybrid is actually a pretty good idea, but uh, for some reason they're not the pushing the hybrid. It is a good idea. And I, and keep your eye on keep your eye on blue energy, that uh, hydrogen. Keep your eye on that. That is not over with. Well, there's a lot of things out there. I just don't um, – I, I, I'm going to have to surmise that the reason they're pushing what they are pushing is it's about control and it's fast and it's available and – we have to give up everything, and later on tonight, you and I will have our casserole of bugs. Well, we own nothing yeah. like it. Yeah. Well, you talk to any expert about it, and they'll, they'll tell you, number one, the government's, uh, what they want to do is totally unrealistic in terms of their time frame and everything they're doing. Right. They don't know what they're doing, so that's why they're doing it. <laughs> anyway. Okay, thank you, Bill. Yes, Appreciate sir. Th thank you for Bye. the call, and thanks for holding. Yeah. Bye. That's interesting. A seven hundred fifty see a seven hundred and fifty mile range on a battery. Now we are talking. But but what kind of charger does it need? How easy is the charger gonna be to install? With the charging nozzle on the car, would it work with the charging infrastructure, what little there is of it in place today? That becomes the next question. But in but now I have to also believe that there would be some sort of a portable solution for this. I've heard about people talking about, well, you could just put a trailer on the back of your car and pull a generator. Doesn't that sort of rob from the convenience of, if you're having to pull a gas-powered generator with you to charge your car, doesn't that sort of uh, take away all of that, uh, all of those advantages? <laughs> I just don't quite, I don't quite get that. But anyway, um, that 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 is an interesting proposition. The other interesting proposition is what uh, what Todd was talking about. This means that early on, when these things were just getting out there, nobody knew how bad their batteries were going to be as far as fire was concerned. So that means somebody was in a fender bender with a Tesla or something. And uh, they fixed the, the sheet metal and the other things, but it had destabilized the battery a little bit. And something sent that battery over the edge, and it went into thermal runaway and just caught on fire. And maybe it was with the introduction of salt water somewhere, or maybe it was uh, another little bump or something that did it. But now, this means that if you own any electric vehicle and you take any impact at all, you're probably going to be totaled out. 
And that means that for you and I that don't have an electric car because we're all buying our insurance from the same place, that has added to the cost of our insurance. Isn't government great? Don't they look out for you? They look, they, they're always looking out. I always love it when they're looking out. Looking out is always good. They're always looking out for me and you and all this other stuff. <laughs> so, having said all of that, I just, I, I, I that, that is, uh, one day this stuff's going to, like, like, uh, like Gary was just talking about with this battery. If it, there's a 750 mile battery that can charge in 10 minutes, that's a game changer. That changes the game altogether. Now, it changes it only in the viability of the car itself. We still don't have the electric infrastructure to charge it. We still don't have any. The, the grid couldn't take it. We don't have the infrastructure to do it. I mean, it still has a bunch of shortcomings that it's going to have to deal with. So, it just never goes away. It just never goes away. It's not a mature. It's not a mature technology just yet. When we get back, we'll go back into this whole thing with the military and the uh, the, the the think tank. And I'm going to tell you the difference between certain words that have been co-opted, just so you know. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Whoever controls the language controls the thought process. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Um, I'm going to give you some definitions of some words that you hear thrown about all the time, like insurrection. That's an organized attempt by a group of people to defeat their government, take control of their country, usually by violence. Treason. The crime of showing no loyalty to your country, especially by helping its en enemies or trying to defeat its government. Coup d'etat. Sudden defeat of a government through illegal force by a small group, often a military one. Junta. A government, especially a military one, that has taken power in a country by force and not by election. Sedition. Language or behavior that is intended to persuade other people to oppose their government. Now, you notice that a lot of those words get thrown about all the time, and uh, they've attempted to change the definition of that. In the same vein that they get out there and say liberal, that they're liberal. They're not liberal. Any of you that use that vernacular, if you get out there and say, well, Bill, the liberals are always that, well, then you have fallen for it. And by perpetuating their, their that theft of language uh, and not calling them what they are, which are, they're Marxists. They're not liberal. Now, for whatever reason, Donald Trump lives in the heads of a lot of people rent-free. Mutiny is on the menu because now there's another secret plan that's being trumpeted at NPC News. I, I don't know how that becomes secret when you actually talk about it on the air. But they're musing out loud for a way to put it in place for the military to refuse to follow the orders from Trump. And part of that is pre-election pre posturing, but... Part of it is also consistent with the post-Obama military, up to and including Mark White Rage Milley. 
Now, as far as what the president is, the president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. He may require the opinion in writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices, and he shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States except in cases of impeachment. No workarounds on that one. It's not ambiguous at all. But we get this. Bracing for Trump's potential return, a loose-knit network of public interest groups and lawmakers is quietly devising plans to try to foil any effort to expand presidential power, which could include pressuring the military to cater to his political needs. See, that they, they lose me right there. The military has one job, and that's to break things. It's not to be out there and be a, a social justice Petri dish. And, uh, you know. But the, the secret plan was devised on NBC News. <laughs> they told NBC News they're studying Trump's past actions and 2024 policy positions, so they will be ready if he wins in November. And that involves preparing to take legal action and send letters to Trump's appointees spelling out consequences they'd face if they undermine constitutional norms. So what they're doing now, right, since the norm of leaving past regimes or presidencies or administrations or whatever term you want to lob there, since that's been lifted now and everybody's fair game, they're out there telling people uh, what they're going to do to them if they go out there and do what Trump tells them to do. And uh, Mary McCord, executive director for the Institution of Constitutional Advocacy and Protection at Georgetown Law, says... We're already starting to put together a team to think through the most damaging types of things that Trump might do so that we're ready to bring lawsuits if we have to. And they use the wiggle room phrase, constitutional norms. Now, when we elect whoever, when we elect them, the American people will have concluded that he is the best person to determine whether America is in sufficient peril then a military force becomes necessary. It's not up to a special interest group or a lawmaker, none of whom have any constitutional authority to make any calls about the military. Now, there would be many in the Pentagon that would go along with this planned mutiny because this has been shaped by years of Obama's efforts to remove the traditional American value from the Pentagon. They got rid of the warriors. And, uh, you know, Pentagon is not very happy about, you know, Donald Trump at any given time. But then we, you know, Red State, they published an interview with Colonel Earl G. Matthews, who was a senior legal advisor to Major General William J. Walker, who was a D.C. National Guard commanding general on January the 6th. Now, a full bird colonel is quite the commander of troops. He normally commands a brigade or something of that size. And he excoriated Milley as one, the one who prevented the National Guard from restoring, restoring order on January 6th. Because Milley was part of the plan to ramp up potential violence to stop Senate opposition to the electoral collection count and provide fodder for the insurrection charge. And he said, and, and this is the thing, this is, this is about the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is an advisor. He doesn't have a legal role in the chain of command. He's simply the senior political military advisor. But he leveraged his staff in the Pentagon and exploited his relationships with the other generals that he had mentored uh, 
and favored for promotion. So he sort of ran the American military, or the Army at the very least, as his own little feudal instrument. And the colonel says, this is about civilian control of the military. There was none. There is none. I argue that Mark Milley had more control over the D.C. Guard on January 6th than Donald Trump did. If Donald Trump wanted to call the Guard to go to the Capitol, Milley wouldn't let him do it. And he said it's essential to understand that unlike the National Guards in the states and territories in the nation's capital, the National Guard is not controlled by a governor, but is under the president's direct control. So, on January the 6th, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff usurped the president's control and called the shots because he wanted some violence on January the 6th. <laughs> so they're, they're going after the republic to, to protect the democracy, I guess. That's what they're doing, yeah. Oh, well, I, find it, I just find it interesting that they have this secret, double secret probation uh, movement afoot, and they're discussing it on, uh, on NBC News. And listen, uh, I got a texter here saying the upcoming Civil War movie could actually be a blueprint for what they're planning to do to Trump if they let him win. Um, movies are written by Hollywood. Right? They don't have any inside track as to what is going to happen. They don't really know that much about actual capability. They get some advice. They get some advisors. And uh, they don't get told. they get told everything they know, but they don't get told everything that is in the know. So don't, you know. Uh, nothing is ever as clear cut as to where there's going to be a plan A blueprint that's going to work because plan A goes out the door as soon as an engagement occurs. And you better have B, C, D, E, F, and G in place. So don't get out there and think, don't, don't get out there and watch something that you see coming on in on the, uh, on the boob tube and think to yourselves, oh, well, this is obviously the blueprint for what's about to happen. <laughs> because I, I mean I saw uh, Leave the World Behind and I heard what everybody had said about it and I was like wow what a bunch of contradictories going on here how do you have cars that need a network to drive getting out there and getting the order to go drive on their own when the network is down how does that work why are you taking out Manhattan when, the Man when Manhattan has no military redeeming quality about it at all it would not even be a military target why would you do that just me musing out loud. Um, if things go right, we're going to be joined by Michael Letts from investusa.org. That's coming up next. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. You know, I find it interesting that... Uh, some of the things they're proposing that they want to see happen if Donald Trump becomes president with some of the things that are probably going to happen because Joe Biden is president. And joining me now to discuss that from investusa.org is Michael Letts. Good, uh, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bill. How are you? It's always a privilege. Yes, sir. So uh, we've, we basically have a wide open border, very few checks and balances in place. Lots of there's there's travel agents all over the border sending people on their various ways. Uh, how 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 likely is it that we have bad actors in the interior of the United States today? 
uh, we know for a fact that we've got uh, Hamas and Hezbollah have already indicated that they have uh, terrorist cells in every state in the union. And uh, quite frankly, uh, Hezbollah especially is believable because Hezbollah's purpose is to export terrorism. You know, Hamas is fighting Israel. Their main objective is to destroy the nation of Israel right. and eliminate Israel. Hezbollah supports Hamas, but Hezbollah is more backed by the Iranians. They're both backed by the Iranians, but Hezbollah is even a closer ally of Iran. And Iran understands that they don't want to fight terrorism wars on their own territory in the backyard. They want to expand terrorism abroad. And so they are using Hezbollah to make sure that they uh, put terrorist cells in poor areas, such as in Western Europe, but especially in the United States. And they've been doing this for a number of of years now. So they're well set. We do know for a fact, Bill, just last week, we picked up, I think it was five, it may have been ten, I think it was ten, Iranian Hezbollah terrorist members crossing the southern border. Interesting enough, we picked up a few coming down from the northern borders from Canada. So we know that they're coming across frequently. We also, you will recall, picked up IEDs, which are, you know, those are big explosives. Those are the big boys. Besides other explosives over the last 30 days coming into the border. You know, the only thing it takes for terrorism to be successful, first of all, they have to have personnel. Well, we just addressed the issue of whether they get personnel in this country. We know they are. We know for a fact that they are. We know uh, that we have hundreds of terrorists all across the country. Second thing it takes, it takes armaments. Well, we know for a fact, you remember I've told you on your show before, Bill, that, you know, what you hear us capture, whether it's personnel coming across, illegal immigrants, or whether it's uh, explosives, we usually get 10 to 20% of what's actually out there. So if we picked up and intercepted 10 IEDs, imagine how many that really means it got across. And then, of course, the third thing it takes is it takes money. And, you know, Iran used to be broke. That's why we didn't have terrorism or the threat of terrorism in this country. But under Biden, it went from Trump breaking Iran, bankrupting it, shall we say, to Biden transferring all of its assets that Trump had seized and frozen. And now they've got $250 billion, not million, but billion dollars in cash from the United States. And that's a lot of money to be able to fund a lot of terrorism, Bill. Well, um, yeah, it is. Uh, one one thing that uh, I find immensely interesting is when you start when you're talking about IEDs. Um, you know where I would be planning IEDs if I was a terrorist in the United States today? High traffic points, probably one. But let me hear your your, your thought. I'll tell you if I agree. Well, I mean, IEDs, what they want them to do is they want to put it somewhere where it's not going to be noticed, where anybody's just going to walk by That's on correct. So what about all these homeless encampments? Yeah, that would work out real well. Yeah, because a lot of times it's mixed up in the garbage, right? That's correct. That's yeah. correct. See, here's the issue with IEDs. They're, they're, they're extremely powerful. Right. But they're compact. So they, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan... They would uh, stuff them in dog carcasses, kind of like a dog got hit by the side of the road and just hasn't been moved yet. Well, you go to move the dog and, whoops, 
takes uh, everything within, you know, uh, 200 yards out with it. Right. So the same principle here, they're very compactable and very uh, hideable. So as you said, put them in a bunch of, where there's a bunch of, it doesn't just stand out, a bunch of garbage mounds, or, you know, you can uh, shoot in those areas you're describing. There's so much trash and so much uh, decaying rot. Nobody wants to get around. That'd be the only problem I would see is if you put it in there, who's going to be in that area, <laughs> you know? Because in America, we typically don't try to stay around that kind of circumstance. But it definitely would make a statement without question. So, and and even in a homeless area, though, that would that would achieve the goal of what they want to do, which is to strike terror in the hearts of people. So, given all that, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is going to, it's going to take... And this is one of these things. I need to have you back here shortly because we, we've talked a little bit about the military tribunal that could conceivably right. fix things, right? But then, uh, did you see that article? I, I just talked about this where they're trying to piece together a way to where the Pentagon would ignore President Trump. Have you have you seen that coming out of NBC? Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. See, and that that makes it so much more important for the military tribunal. Yeah, let me so. tell you what you we're talking just a second what you got in the military so that we can give some uh, guy got about a minute. We got about a minute. You got probably still a majority of your junior grade officers. Or I think I know you have a majority of junior grade officers and senior uh, NCOs that are patriots, and then you've got the general officers that are some of them are the same, but some of them are what we call woke general officers, the PR general officers, and they believe in the woke liberal causes. And those are the ones trying to dictate and control. But quite frankly, uh, there's going to be some changes in the military, too, I believe. They're not going to put up with that. Yeah. Well, I, I know a lot of veterans groups are starting to send letters looking for accountability out of the military and everything else. And Correct. There's, there's, there's a swell beginning to, uh, to push up that's uh, going to go against a lot of the things that they've been trying to put in place. But it's... Uh, I guess we're going to see. I guess we're going to see. It's going to be one or the other, something in the middle. And in the interim, even if, you know, if we get in a position where we can start making change, we've still got all these people in the interior to worry about at the moment. So this will be an ongoing fluid situation, won't it? It sure will. But uh, at least we're recognizing the problem. We're beginning to pull our resources together as to how to combat it. That's the first step. That's the first step. Michael runs something called investusa.org. They give protective vests that, for some of you that want to know, they're actually made by a company called Buffalo Armory out of Buffalo, New York. These are these are sure. vests that law enforcement wear all day, every day, and they're meant to protect them and their canine companions, and Michael has given away more than 11,000 of those to law enforcement. He also is a writer at American Thinker. Thank you for joining me this morning, sir. Thank you, Bill. God bless you. Look forward to doing it again. Yes, sir. When we get back, uh, what if there was a way to really fix crime, but the left doesn't want to do that because that would be bad for the narrative? Right here on News Talk 98.9 WORD.
anywhere you look where there is a Democrat in charge, crime is probably killing that city. Like New Orleans. A Bravo TV show cut the number of episodes produced in the city because they repeatedly, the, the crew, kept getting carjacked. A local beer maker, Farberg Brewery, couldn't find anyone to work the night shift because their people kept getting jacked. So they moved out of, all the production out of the state. An offshore oil service company, Harvey Gulf International Marine, moved its headquarters from the city to the suburbs because too many of its employees were victimized. These individual economic decisions, which are driven by fear of crime, never make the news. So this means the 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 you know the Gotham's of uh, of the United States, the big cities, are hollowing out. How many small businesses have closed or moved because of this fear? How many tourists avoided spending their vacation dollar there because of this fear? And many deep blue American cities are in a similar situation. Memphis, Baltimore, St. Louis, Chicago, Memphis. I say Memphis because I like them. Jackson or Birmingham. And we know how to fix this. We do know how to fix this. Incarceration fixes this. It it always fixes this kind of thing. Why? Well, because violent crime is committed by a small number of young men. And two characteristics are known as common denominators with this, that are with people that are prone to criminality. Low IQ and a high level of testosterone. Can't do anything to effectively increase someone's IQ. One thing that reduces testosterone, though, is age. So if you remove criminal from, criminals from the population with a long prison sentence, that's going to reduce crime. And if a career violent criminal is incarcerated in his 20s and released in his 60s, he's not going to be as violent when he gets out. And we know this works because federal, state, and local governments recently implemented pro-incarceration policies. And, oh my, they've been stunningly successful. And the implement, implementation of three-strike laws, mandatory minimum sentencing, building more prison cells, electing tough-on-crime officials resulted in incarceration rates going up from the early 1990s to the mid-2010s. During this same period, crime rates dropped. But then in the last 10 years, they decided to reverse these tough-on-crime policies despite the impressive correlation that was happening. Incarceration is about $46,000 per year per prisoner annually. The nation spends $80 billion a year on incarceration. But crime costs the nation $6 trillion a year. Therefore, a large increase in incarceration expenditures would be economically justified. And the non-economic benefits of one less murder, rape, or assault, there's no way to calculate. Reversing the decline of the American city because of fear of crime is also immense. So we're going to see this happening. We're going to see an experiment between red America and blue America as, uh, as, they, as the, the various public policies are put in place. You'll see some states that reinstate tough, time-tested policies like high bail, minimum sentencing, enhanced sentencing, and we'll likely see very different trends in crime rates between blue and red states. And another way tough on crime elected officials can affect crime is 
to bring municipalities with progressive criminal justice systems into heel, like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has done, because he removed two progressive prosecutors because of their leniency. Republican Attorney General Andrew Bailey attempted to remove uh, Kim Gardner, who resigned before her removal in St. Louis. In Louisiana, newly inaugurated Governor Jeff Landry starting his administration by calling a special legislative session to address the out-of-control crime in the state's cities, particularly New Orleans. The partisans will try try to distract you on this. And uh, there's many red states that have uniquely dangerous cities teeming with violent criminals like Houston and New Orleans and Memphis and Jackson and Birmingham and Little Rock and Cleveland and Gary and St. Louis. And they, this is where you get the high crime red state argument when you have these because. In these places, they stand out like a like a like the brightest light in the darkest night, and they've done an analysis by looking in these states at crime at the county level, and you'll see the difference. So, some problems are intractable, but the current crime epidemic does not have to be, and the the cure for this plague is available. And it just requires somebody to activate some short-term memory and put it in play. And we'll see where this goes. This is why I keep saying we're going to wake up one morning, there's going to be two Americas. There's going to be Red America, Blue America, and everybody from Blue America will be trying to escape to Red America. Talk to you tomorrow morning. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.